Stories connect us as humans. A well-told story can motivate and inspire us. Storytelling is the ultimate superpower. Be The Drop is a weekly podcast that investigates how to tell stories that engage. Join me, Amelia Veal, on our shared journey to become better storytellers. In episode 244, Sergio Brodsky, Principal Consultant at Surge Advisory, discusses the elements of foresight with Lucio Ribeiro, Business Strategy and Digital Consultant at Lucio.ai. This episode is a little different than my normal format, as the interview was recorded as a fireside chat at PauseFest 2021. PauseFest has a mission to bring diverse intelligence together to fuel the next generation forward for good. As a PauseFest media partner, it is my absolute pleasure to share some of the incredible discussions to help continue their positive impact. In this episode, Sergio explains that the future exists not to be predicted, but to be created. This is Sergio's version of Be The Drop, live from PauseFest with Lucio Ribeiro. This episode was recorded in conjunction with PauseFest 2021, Australia's leading digital startup and innovation conference. Head to pausefest.com.au for more info. When we think about future, we think about optimism and we think about positivity, but we also think about risk. We think about unpredictability, you know? The more we are able to rationally understand the world, the more we can shape history for our own purpose. Eisenhower famously said that plans are worthless, but plan is everything. And to help us to plan smarter, better, today, I will be interviewing my big friend, Sergio Brodsky. So Sergio, is that true that you're going to guide us through like your proven framework of these seven elements of foresight? I will be your Sherpa today, and we're going to the top of the mountain. How about that? I would like to, to start with a question to you. I always see reports from big corporations, reports about the future done by PwC, KPMG, World Economic Forum, and like all these big ones. How do I choose one? Uh, very good question. I will tell you how not to choose one. And once we go through all the seven dimensions of foresight usability, you have a pretty good idea on what to choose and how to maximize the time that you invest after reading any of those reports. And in front of us, we have some very reputable entities, uh, uh, highly regarded sources, KPMG being one, Nesta, and the Financial Review as well. They're all places that people would instinctively trust but one reason to avoid reading any of those is the word predictions. Whenever you find predictions, it's probably because whoever wrote that didn't have enough time to consult the sources that actually understand about the practice of foresight to realize that the future exists not to be predicted, but to be created. And this is essentially what foresight does. We have uh, some proven frameworks and techniques and tools that allow us to design this trajectory from the present into the future. And uh, what happens is that through a series of studies from uh, Professor Philip Tetlock, he, he wanted to, to measure how good are we in terms of predicting the future. And after 40, 40 years and thousands and thousands of predictors predicting many different things, he came to the conclusion that humans are as good as apes in predicting the future. So whenever you see anyone trying to do something like that, you should call out. And that's something that I did uh, a few months ago. In that case was with uh, Professor Mark Ritson, someone that I greatly admire and respect. 
but he's a marketing professor. He's not a foresight professor. And unfortunately, he actually predicted that after COVID, everything was going to get back to normal. And my point was that this could be one of the scenarios, but there are, there are no certainties. And there is even a field of study called macro history, where we look at some of the patterns in history to potentially provide some signals about how history can unfold. However, there are no guarantees that extrapolations of the, the past will result in accurate projections of the future. What we can try is to create a trajectory that will take us from this present to a desired future. The future is not a guess. The future becomes an asset. You will not go to your financial advisor and ask that person to get, guess where my money should go. Can you please give me a guess? No, your financial planner is going to provide you with a strategy showing you how to best manage your money so it can grow in the future. Foresight you know, is a similar thing. So that, that's, that's a good analogy. How can we use the future as an asset instead of being used by it? I think that the one common denominator has been strategy. I have always been in strategic roles. I love strategy. And uh, all of that started back in Brazil, where this funny accent comes from, but also when I became a lawyer. I used to be an IP lawyer and then moving into business, commercial strategies. So then you have innovation strategies. Moving into corporate, you have a corporate strategy. And then in this wonderful world of brands, what we have is pretty much, you know, you, you can put strategy next to anything you like. So you have brand strategy, marketing strategy, media design, creative content strategy. And in this utility belt of strategic devices, I felt that I had a gap. And that gap was in relation to strategic foresight. I wanted to learn how to devise strategies for the long term, not only because I find this something fascinating, not only because I find this something that can add tremendous value to anything that you do, but also because this is something that is very much needed, is very much, I believe, is an antidote to the short-termism that we're living today. And what I did, I, instead of you know, following some popular futurists or people like that, I went straight to the top. I reached out to Professor Soheyo Inayatullah, who is the all-time best futurist. He is also the, the inaugural chair of uh, future studies for the UNESCO. And uh, we had a great relationship. And then he started inviting me to do a few different things with him. But as I learned about foresight, my intention was then to put it into practice. And for me, what gave me the greatest comfort began by publishing a couple of articles to the Journal of Future Studies, which is an academic journal. It's possibly the main one in the future space. So I wrote a couple of articles there about futurists themselves. And as time passed, I was also invited to author a chapter about foresight in marketing. And this book is coming by the end of March. It's a Routledge book, one of those academic books. And it is going to be called the Routledge Handbook of Marketing Research. Uh, man, thank you. That's a pretty long and extensive exposure to frameworks and academia and thought leaderships and, and practical work. So I actually wanted to ask you a question as clear as I can. Can anyone take advantage of the future? Yes, anyone can take advantage of the future. However, most of us are taking advantage from the future and we get stuck in our presence, in our pasts. So, yes. How we even start? How we even start? It's, it's a dance with the seven steps. 
And these are the seven foresight usability dimensions, which is something that I've learned through all of this work that I've done. The first one is that the future must be learning focused. And rather than predictions or extrapolations, the future needs to be used through a learning trajectory. As I already mentioned a couple of times, when knowledge is malleable, you can use it, you can change, you can reshape it. And this way you can evolve and transform the things that you've learned as you improve. For instance, this report from LinkedIn, from Peter Weinberg, the global lead of the B2B Institute of LinkedIn, he, he wrote uh, a post uh, promoting this, this uh, report. And he says that our team has learned about B2B marketing over the past five years. Is a very good sign that this is a report that has taken learning as a tra trajectory in a serious way. So the information that they have has been tested, has been proved, and has been synthesized in a meaningful way. Therefore, is a good sign that you should consume this report. There's, but there's more. The next one is about having this continuous adaptive and narrative-based type of work. So foresight cannot be a set and forget type of exercise. That's not the case. That will never happen. It is ongoing, ensuring the trajectory is aligned with the desired de destination, making everyone that is part of the process because foresight, unless it is about your own self desire about your inner self trajectory when it's about an organization a company an entity an industry or a nation you need to have everyone else that is going to be impacted by this future to share their narratives and and become key actors of their own future narratives so we can have all of these many voices coordinated so once again this is a positive sign for you to consume a report of this type the, the third one uh, foresight needs to be challenging the used future. The used future is, is a, it sounds a bit contradictory uh, as, a, as a term, but this is the future that no longer serves us. So every organization has particular practices that they engage in that do not, ref, do, do not reflect their preferred future. So for instance, if you want to put together a, a statement about defining a possible future, it needs to be one that challenges today. Otherwise, what are you changing? As I said before, we create the future, manage the present and selectively forget the past. So a few things will be dropped. These are the things that have already been used and no longer serve us. Education, for instance, you know, looking at all the many industries going through disruption, I think education, particularly higher education, is, is the one that is going to be suffering the most. And this is not a prediction. It's part of a learning trajectory. Education has very much been created, formatted around the, 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 the military model. You are here to form batches of people, batches of soldiers that will go to the battlefield. In education, you are here to form batches of students that will go into the workforce. So it's very much the factory model, right? And uh, when you see some of the most modern, most advanced schools uh, and universities around the world, what do they do? They replaced teachers or paper with screens, with digital technology, but still within that same context of the factory. They are still forming batches of people to go into the workforce. But instead of reading a book or instead of having a, a teacher in front of you, you may have a robot, you may have a screen, you may have a hologram. That, that does not challenge the used future. That only prolongs the used future. The, the right way of doing this is flipping it on, on its head. Let's break away from the factory model. Let's reinvent a better model for education. Good example, man. Thank you. So now your uh, step four or your uh, yeah, more out of your seventh yeah, framework. 
the fourth dimension is when any, any type of foresight needs to be offering alternative futures. So all of those reports that we saw from the beginning, they offer one future. You know, this is our prediction to the future. And the future will be one of driverless cars. Well, the future could also be one of uh, floating bubbles. The future could be one, one where, you know, you have uh, zeppelins and balloons and uh, all sorts of crazy things. We need to create scenarios. We need to create alternative possibilities to the future that we envisage. So let's say that after COVID, it becomes zombie apocalypse. We lose ourselves. Scenario two is what many people has, have been saying, at, at least those that have survived the crisis. This is a needed pause. It's time to take a deep breath and then accelerate once more. Scenario three is this global health awakening. Yes, we take a pause, we accelerate, but not to go back to status quo, but to transform, to go somewhere else. And scenario four is this great despair. We don't know what to do, we drop it all. And this is pretty much what's happening in Brazil right now, where the president is saying that if he takes, a, if he's vaccinated, he'll turn into an alligator. This is a, a desperate type of narrative, but it is a scenario. As ludicrous, as ridiculous as it is, this is a scenario and we should be able to offer this type of nuance so you are able to anticipate risks as well as the opportunities. So if I'm if I'm sitting inside a, a, a corporate and I'm applying these seven spheres of strategic foresight, how tactical, how much plan or micro would go for each one of these scenarios? Yeah, it, it always depends on what is what, what is the subject being being discussed, right? Who are the participants there? Because sometimes you can only go too far. When I'm running certain workshops with people from the UN, they are some of the you know most best trained technical experts on anything you can imagine, right? But do they know about some other social or cultural phenomenons or triggers or interesting trends that have been happening? Probably not. Do they know the reality of people that, that do not work inside the UN? Some they would, others they wouldn't. So when, when you're building a scenario, yes, you try to add as much detail as you possibly can. But, you know, there, are, there will always be some limitations. However, the idea is, yes, let's try to create a scenario that is at least believable. It may be a crazy scenario. You know, we are all going to be living in Mars. You know, sounds pretty crazy. But if that is the scenario, how do we make it real? How do we make it believable in, you know, in the next 30, 50 years? And I can talk to you about this in many details, but I am very interested in, in learning your five, six, and seven. So five. Five, cognitively diverse, right? So we, we need to have different voices in the room. As I said before, it's not only about people bringing their own narratives, but it's also about bringing their own fields of expertise as well. Because as an economist, I will know certain things that a fashion designer wouldn't. But why shouldn't I have a fashion designer and an economist in the same room? You know, there, there's a very interesting story about how the DNA was communicated once Watson and Creek, you know, found that there is something called the DNA, how would they ever be able to communicate that to the masses? And it took a while. They actually used a fashion designer to color code the four proteins that, that form the DNA to make it uh, palatable, to make it appealing, to make it easy for the masses to consume. So that's, that's super important. The next one is that it needs to be supported by a worldview and a metaphor. And this is all around context, the power of narratives and how much they shape the way we perceive the world. And the narratives that we create to ourselves, the stories that we tell ourselves, they are basically this, this radar 
through which you can you capture all the signals that you are able to see. If your narrative is one where racism doesn't exist and you see signals of racism, you you're going to ignore that because your narrative does not does not allow for that to be a to be a part of it. And then to our next and final dimension, you already mentioned the spheres, steps. Let's call let's call them dimensions. The final dimension of force of usability in foresight is that we all need to have a vision that is neither too far nor too near, and one that enables and also ennobles. What do I mean by that? A vision that is too near. Well, I mean it's happening in three weeks, in three months, in two quarters. It's not too far from here. You don't really need foresight for that. Insight should be enough. Hindsight should should also help you enough. But if you want to see 5, 10, 15, 20 years in the future, that's when you can start calibrating your foresight. But on the other hand, it needs to be a vision that enables and also ennobles. It's a vision that will help you achieve more or better or differently. And it's also one that is going to put you in a better place from the one that you were today. No one wants to be in, in, a, in, a, in a place that is not as good as the one that you are today. So a vision to be believable and to be one that drives a degree of foresight has to be like that. Here on this example that we have on the screen is uh, from uh, SoftBank. SoftBank is, uh, I mean, it's a pretty unique company, right? And they have this 300-year vision. They have a 300-year plan. Would I spend too much time reading their 300-year plan? Absolutely not. I think uh, 300 years is is way too far down the line. There, there could be so many variables that even if you overlay macro history on top of that, still there are going to be too many gaps. So keeping that in mind that, you know, 5, 10, 15, 30 years is what uh, uh, strategic foresight practitioners usually work with. There will be 50 years, but it's, it's rarely a lot more than that. So, uh, Sergio, before we close today, I just wanted to make sure our audience has a, uh, an opportunity to just to review very quickly our seven dimensions. Absolutely. So, you know, the key message to take away is that the future is an asset, not a guest. Stop predicting, start building, start creating. And the way to create your future or the future of your organization is by making it learning focused. So change the knowledge that you acquire, transform it, evolve it. It needs to be continuous, adaptive, and narrative-based. Don't come up with a series of disjointed tactics or ideas. Make sure that those ideas, those tactics, those practices, those analysis, they all inform an overarching narrative. So you have a sense of direction. You have a sense of where you're departing from and where you're landing at. You also need to be challenging a used future. Those those, Those practices that no longer serve us that will no longer take us where we want to get to. You should also be able to offer different scenarios, alternative futures. And there are many ways to create scenarios. There are, you know, at least seven to nine different approaches to scenario planning and scenario thinking. But uh, uh, I think one that is quite useful that at least I like is one that emphasizes plausibility. So I'll give you different scenarios, but they are all plausible. The next one is about being cognitively diverse. So Yourself, if you want to engage in the practice of strategic foresight, is very helpful if you become a generalist, if you have knowledge and expertise and experience across many areas, many cultures, many geographies, but also the people that you work with, always make sure to include a diverse sample. 
of, of people that have different backgrounds. And I'm talking about cognitively diverse, having the, 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 the wires in your brain wired in a different way, supported by a worldview and a metaphor. Once again, we, we, we learn through stories, we learn through narratives, but we understand and we perceive the world through the metaphors that we create for ourselves. Education has had the metaphor of the fabric, of the factory, sorry. And this metaphor is one that has been imprisoning education as a model. If education has a new metaphor, a new worldview for itself, instead of replacing books for digital screens, we could replace the entire model and create something that is a lot more sustainable in the long term. And the last but not least, a vision that is neither too far nor too near and one that enables and ennobles. Everyone wants to be better off. No one wants to be worse off. So this is it. I, I highly recommend everyone watching this to follow those seven dimensions if you want to create your desired future. Thank you, Lucio. Thank you, Paz. It was great having this conversation. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Thank you very much for listening to me and Sergio Brodsky. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that. This is a Narrative Network podcast.